Today's episode includes discussions about the withholding of food that might be triggering for anyone struggling or having previously struggled with eating disorders of any kind. That's my warning. Thanks for listening. I'm Haley. I'm Andy. And this is Dead Endings. summer of 1911 in Tacoma, Washington, Lucian Agassi had a meeting with a pair of women in a hotel lobby. Agassi was the British vice consul and his job was to look out for the rights of English citizens living or visiting the United States. The meeting with the two women marked the end of a tumultuous journey for them, but the beginning of one for Agassi. He sat across from the women, one of whom was disturbingly beyond sickly thin, and listened to their tale. It began over a year before in early fall of 1910. Two English sisters, Dora and Claire Williamson, had traveled across Canada visiting distant family members and looking forward to a vacation of sorts on the coast. The pair were daughters of a well-off English officer named George Williamson and his wife, Rosalita. Rosalita. Dorothea, known as Dora, was the older of the two and was born while her parents were stationed in India. When Dora was one years old, her parents hired a 20-year-old governess from Australia named Margaret Conway. The day after Margaret arrived, Rosalita gave birth to a daughter they named Gertrude, who was sickly from the start. When Gertrude was three and a half, she succumbed to scarlet fever. Mm. During this time, another Williamson daughter had been born named Ethel, and Ethel also died of scarlet fever. Damn. At this point in history, scarlet fever was the leading cause of death in children, And there are still outbreaks that happen today, but we have antibiotics to control it, and it's like strep throat. The same bacteria causes both illnesses. That's interesting. Yeah, and it has, like, similar um, symptoms. Okay. When Dora was four years old, she, her parents, and Margaret returned home to England. Rosalita was pregnant again, but was worried over her own husband's failing health and seemed to be a little disappointed with her pregnancy and the timing. George died two months after Rosalita gave birth to their fourth daughter, Claire. He was only 39 years old, and there's no known cause of his death besides he strained his heart. So I'm guessing he had a heart Heart, attack. Yeah. Wow. Margaret oversaw most of the care of Dora and Claire, and the sisters loved their governess and referred to Margaret as Tootie. Tootie. That's cute. (laughs) When Dora was 18 and Claire was 14, their mother, Rosalita, died and Margaret essentially filled the role of mother even more. The sisters had grown up going to schools all over the world. They loved tennis and swimming, and they were very dedicated to one another because that's really, like, that's That's who they they had. Yeah. Their grandfather had left them a fortune worth more than $1 million in stock and land holdings, which today would be about $28 million. That's awesome. So they're comfort. Like, they had that, thankfully. For two single women to have such wealth at this time was pretty much unheard of. Mm Mm-hmm. The sisters were in their early to mid-30s and were still unwed. Men had been interested over the years, but it seems the sisters were always too busy with interests of their own. Yes. They loved traveling and were considered fattists. So if there was ever, like, a new diet or a new approach to health and wellness, they had to try it. Okay. They were vegetarian, which, honestly, like, that was when I was vegetarian. I felt super healthy and energetic. Mm Mm-hmm. 
they said that corsets, which were still popular at the time, were the devil's invention. I love that. to wear them. I have a couple corsets and I still can't fit into them. <laughs> I agree. They are the devil's invention. Yeah, and it's like the old school, like, like tight. Yeah, they had to tighten them up. Yeah. They make um, your boobs look great, but it's not worth it. <laughs> no. <laughs> they desperately wanted to feel healthy and happy. Claire and Dora preferred holistic healing as opposed to medical doctors. I personally believe that in current times, it's good to have a balance of both. Yes, but to absolutely. Be, yeah, to be fair for the time, though, uh, we know a lot more about science in the human body now than they did back then. But the woman regularly sought out osteopaths, which would be like a licensed physician who uses things like massage therapy or f- physical manipulation for treatments, and they didn't necessarily have an actual medical degree. Claire had a sensitive stomach, but after seeing one osteopath who told her that her uterus had fallen back onto her spine, she started to get obsessed with this idea and regularly sought treatment for it. Aw, that's kind of... Which is weird. Yeah, that is weird. Family members were skeptical about the sisters' health. They felt that the sisters regularly complained of bad health because they could afford to be sick. Like Almost like hypochondriacs possibly kind of like it's like they were bored they had money they didn't need to work they could fret over every little pain or discomfort that comes from being a human yeah i mean that's understandable why wouldn't you right you'd want to make sure that you're okay and also massages are amazing (laughs) see and i feel like i kind of relate to a little bit because if i have a headache sometimes i'm like this isn't how i'm supposed to be this is unfair i'm wasting a day of my life i'm not supposed to feel this way (laughs) (laughs) that's a fair when i have a headache i'm literally just like oh shit you didn't eat today and that's why i don't like being sick so i could see where they're like if they have a sick day they're like oh i'm in ill health and i need assistance Part of their desire for holistic treatment involved being in nature, which I like. They really love to be outside in the country, and I think that's part of what brought them to this part of the world, like the southwestern part of Canada and the northwestern part of the states, which is beautiful now, but back then it would have been like far less developed and even more like wilderness. Yeah. Um, it's gorgeous. So after this trip, the sisters planned to part ways for a short while. Dora would travel to Australia to visit with Margaret, who herself was visiting her family, and while Claire would return to England and begin studying to be a kindergarten teacher, Aww. this seems to have just stricken her fancy one day. Yes. Yeah, and like she that. was like, I'm going to pursue this. Why not? Well, on the trip, though, the sisters spotted an advertisement in a paper. The ad featured a book written by a Dr. Linda Hazard titled Fasting for the Cure of Disease. This seemed to be right up their alley, and they sent an order in for the book. The sisters read the book together, and it stuck with them. Hmm. You know how sometimes you read about something or you learn about something, and every part of you is like, yes, this is what I was looking for. Absolutely. Claire Williamson felt that. And Dora was a little less intense, but she enjoyed being a part of things with her sister, and I think she was still interested. It's like, oh, this is something worth we can... exploring. Yeah. Linda Hazard believed that an, all illnesses came from issues regarding diet and digestion. Okay. Which for someone like Claire with a weak stomach, I can see how that would be like especially striking. Like all of my illnesses coming from my weak stomach. In her book, Linda states that overeating is the vice of the whole human race. But it's so fun. (laughs) But we find as time goes on that Linda has an interesting take on what exactly she means by overeating. Oh, man, is it like three meals a day is overeating? Oh, for sure. Oh, really? Yeah. 
for Aww. sure for Linda, even three meals a day is overeating. Yeah, we'll just, we'll see how this goes. <laughs> so <laughs> tucked inside the book was a brochure describing Dr. Linda Hazard's sanitarium for treatment located in Olala, Washington. And this was it for the sisters. They were in love with the idea of receiving this new special fasting treatment while staying in a cottage in nature on the Puget Sound in Washington. Claire wrote a letter to Linda, and Claire explained her sensitive tummy and her issues with her uterus, and explained that Dora had swollen glands and pain in her knees, which, like, same babe, I think <laughs> that's just part of getting old. Yup. Oh, the knees, for sure. Yeah, there's so many times where I'm, like, trying to go upstairs, and I'm like, oh, what the fuck? Yeah, I know, like, I'll be working out, and I'll be like, I need knee braces. <laughs> like, I'm 26, and I need knee braces. This is, Yeah. <laughs> So Linda responded that the treatment would be great for the sisters, but that construction hadn't been completed on the sanitarium yet. The sisters decided they would spend the winter in California, and throughout this time they sought out other healing methods, such as water therapy, which involved drinking gallons of water a day, which is not recommended. That can be super dangerous. Yep. And taking mud baths, which I don't think there's anything wrong for that. Go for that. Whatever. Dora was feeling relieved. Apparently all the water and mud had helped her glands and knees. <laughs> water and mud. But Claire visited an osteopath during the winter about her uterus troubles. And this osteopath was like, I know exactly what you need for this weird tipped back uterus of yours. The osteopath had Claire shove a cotton wad soaked in boric acid and glycerin into her vagina and leave it there for 24 hours at a time, three times a week in order to clear any congestion. That's awful. That's gross. That's like... So three days a week, she has this cotton wad soaked in boric acid and glycerin into her vagina. Don't put things in your vagina that don't belong there, especially boric acid. Oh my goodness. And Claire felt like this was very uncomfortable. Yeah, so she pro- did she stop doing it? So Claire wrote another letter to Linda describing this treatment that the other osteopath had her doing, and Linda wrote back telling Claire that she would have to give the sisters an examination in person, but if they began fasting immediately, they would immediately see positive results regarding their health, and Linda also told Claire to stop stubbing, shoving that weird boric acid mix up her okay, vagina. good. Which is, like, the one good... That's good advice, Linda. Keep telling people that. In January of 1911, Claire wrote to Linda again, inquiring once more about the treatment at the sanitarium. Linda reiterated that it was not... Still not built, but it would be ready, hopefully, by the end of summer. Linda told the sisters that they could come to her office in Seattle and start treatment there. They could rent an apartment near her office, and she could see them for daily visits. It would be $60 per patient per month, not including any extra consultations that may arise. Okay, that's a pretty good price. There's, like, a very loud truck outside. Yeah, it's a street. It looks sweeping the very clean street. Yeah, <laughs> pretty good community. Anyway, um, sorry about that. So the sisters decided to head to Seattle, but also decided that they wouldn't tell any of their friends or family what they were doing. They didn't want to deal with any negativity or criticism that others might have towards this new treatment. Which I get, but I'm also like, maybe they're confusing that with genuine concern. concern. Yeah. And if you're gonna go do something new, tell somebody where you're going. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I guess their family's so used to them traveling that it wouldn't be considered out of the, That's not normal, but it's yeah. still like, 
you gotta communicate. Well, it's like there's been times with you where you're gonna want to do something risky, and I'm like, well, I'm gonna need the address. Yep, like that's fair. I thank you. For I can't those tell you not to do something that risky, <laughs> but I need at least like a name and an address. Driving to Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> like just tell somebody. Yep. Where you're going and who you're going to see. So, they made a short stop in Portland to visit with their mother's brother, their uncle John Herbert, before continuing to Seattle. They moved into the Buena Vista apartment building on February 26, 1911. The sisters traveled not far from their apartment to meet with Linda Hazard for the first time in her office. Linda was only 12 years older than Claire, but carried herself with a very, like, matronly, confident energy, which made her seem very intelligent and professional. I like it. Linda shook hands with Claire and Dora before immediately launching into her spiel about how successful she is and how wonderful her treatment is, saying that many people sillily came to her as a last resort. I don't know if sillily is a word. I don't <laughs> They sillily came to her. Those goofs. <laughs> silly goose. <laughs> Linda then started going over the treatment, which the sisters had read of in Linda's book, and explaining a little more into each part. There would be fasting, sometimes upwards of 40 days. Sometimes fasting would involve no food at all. Sometimes it would include tomato or bean broths. Also, part of the treatments were hot baths, enemas, and internal massage. Enemas are very uncomfortable. I've never <laughs> experienced one, but I imagine. <laughs> It's just, like, I've also, I'm sidetracked, like, I've also heard people in, enjoyed, like, doing enemas and, like, caffeinating themselves with coffee. Yeah, I've heard that, too. It's just, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, thanks. How energized do you really get into yeah. your ass? <laughs> this, oh, yeah, Linda was very descriptive in describing times when she was treating previous patients and had them on a bean broth diet. She would then give them their enema and it would expel all sorts of what she described as black, foul discharge and how it was all of the toxins being released from their bodies. Like, <laughs> Linda, you have only given these people bean broth for days. Yeah. And then you're giving them a rigorous enema. The black discharge is not toxins. Nope. It's beans, bitch. Like, yeah, oh my god. But also, like, so she's asking these people to fast drinking broth but then she's also asking them to like dehydrate themselves yeah so this i don't feel like this is healthy yeah i question <laughs> your medical degree linda i agree she doesn't have one. Oh no <laughs> but she you doesn't she doesn't claim to she's an osteopath oh which is you don't have to have a medical degree medical degree yeah oh damn she's licensed damn like just when the world and the back time in the day when you could just say that you were this i'm a doctor <laughs> trust me i'm gonna give you an enema and some beans and you're gonna feel so much better <laughs> linda didn't give either sister any sort of actual physical exam but told them they'd be starting the treatment right away Claire was excited, and Dora was a bit skeptical. Can you guess which of us is which sister? <laughs> I, think, I think we have an idea. <laughs> if, like, this woman is like, sitting there, like, very, like, in charge, and like, matter of fact, this is what we're going to do, and you're going to feel great, and we're going to do it this way, and you would be like, yes, and I'd be like, eh. I'm not sure. sure this feels this. like a cult. <laughs> 
I can get behind cults, though. Anything <laughs> that feels like bonding with other human beings to me, I'm like, ooh, this is a red flag. This is a cult. And I'm just like, anybody that actually agrees with me on something, I'm like, yeah, let's go for it. I feel like even very normal encounters, I'm like, mm, 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 nope. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> this feels wrong. <laughs> so Linda led both women into another room where she would start them off with internal massage. Oh, wait. It's not, it's not as bad. No, it, it's as bad, but it's not like an internal massage. Okay, okay. I was like... Yeah. <laughs> so, Claire went first. Claire laid down on a table as Linda, who I will not refer to as Dr. Hazard at any point because she's not a doctor, and it would bother her a whole bunch when people would call her Mrs. and not doctor, but she wasn't a doctor, so she's Linda Hazard. She's Linda. Listen so, here, Linda. Claire laid down on the table, and Linda proceeded to just beat the shit out of her what (laughs) slapping her punching her in the back of the head and the stomach yeah and dora was like um excuse me like this seems (laughs) really rough and claire's like no no it wasn't so bad Uh, and linda's like this is internal massage And with that, the sisters jumped right into their treatment. They only drank broth from canned tomatoes that had been boiled down and strained. One cup in the morning, one cup in the evening. So gross. Besides this, there were baths, which they were hot baths. They weren't like hot tub baths. They were like scalding baths. No, thank you. So there's the enemas, the beatings, I mean massage. Um... (laughs) The sisters were also told they needed to walk a lot because their bodies were full of poison and they needed to walk it out. Walk it, gotta walk it out. I mean, I'm pretty sure that your fucking body has been scalded by these baths. Yeah. And that's making it really uncomfortable. But you gotta walk it out. Which, like, walking is amazing. Like, and people should walk. And, like, that part is good. That's good advice. Yes. Walk. But... But um, the walking didn't really happen, though, because by the end of the first week of treatment, fainting had become a regular occurrence in Claire and Dora's lives because they weren't eating. The sisters believed that they would get better, though. They talked every day about how weak they felt now, but that any day they would be healed of their supposed illnesses and be better. The way that Linda had described her other patients' experiences were like weeks of ill health followed by a miraculous full recovery. Like when they finally ate a fucking sandwich. Yeah. (laughs) So each day they hoped that would be the day of their, like, revival. Mm. Leaving the apartment quickly became near impossible for the women, and Linda would stop in or send friends and employees of hers over to check on the girls. Through this, the enema stayed a daily part of the treatment. In the beginning, Linda would have each woman get into a fetal position in the tub while she put about six quarts worth of warm water into their behinds, using tubing to flush out any matter. Process would take about 30 minutes, but as time went on, Linda increased the amount of water and the amount of time the enemas took until they could last hours on end to all day long. When Dora passed out during one, a hammock was strung up over the tub so that the sisters could just lay in that while the process was happening. So if they passed out, it was no problem. They could just keep going. Claire and Dora had been given the name Nellie Sherman by Linda as someone they could contact if they found themselves needing any further help or care in their day-to-day lives. Nellie was a nurse that Linda had recently met, and Nellie had been told by Linda that she was treating two English sisters who were in a bad way and probably wouldn't live much longer. 
Because she's killing them. Nellie had told Linda she would help with their care, but Dora had to practically beg Nellie on the phone to come to them for some reason. Like, Nellie agreed to help, and then she was like, I got really busy and I'm doing other stuff. And Dora's like, please, like, we're so sick, and Linda said you would help us. Yeah. So the neighbors in the Buena Vista were growing more and more disturbed by the appearance of the sisters, as well as the sounds of moans and pains that came from their apartment at all hours of the day and night. When Claire and Dora had moved in, they appeared to be in, a, in good health, but within a few weeks, they'd wasted away to be real thin and weak. Mm. Nellie invited one neighbor named Clara Corgan over to meet with Dora and Claire. When Clara walked into the apartment, she experienced shock after shock. First was the sister's appearance, which seemed to just get worse every day. And then Linda was there giving Claire her massage treatment, which was just the beating, mm-hmm. as Claire groaned in pain. Clara even spoke up and told Linda that it seemed like she was being too rough with her patient, to which Linda said, no, 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 it's good for her circulation. That's odd. Then Linda turned to Nellie and began telling Nellie about another patient she had been treating who had just died and who she was trying to do an autopsy on, but that the container she had for his body wasn't big enough and she needed a bigger one for dissection. How is she even allowed? Well, also, she doesn't have any medical history. Like, she doesn't have any medical education to do Oh, yeah, do she's, on- not, she's not really supposed to be doing stuff. Oh. She just does what she wants. She's just... She's a killer. <laughs> so Claire was like, what the fucking Twilight Zone horror movie did I just walk into? Yes, absolutely. Um, she left, but she came back to the apartment after Linda had gone, and she offered Claire a sponge bath. And while she was bathing Claire, she could see all of the red marks on her very tight skin from the beating she'd just gotten. And she asked Claire if it hurt, and Claire told her that the treatment was beautiful. Ugh. No. The sisters would ask Linda for food on occasion, and Linda would look in their mouths and tell them that their tongues weren't clean, and that they weren't clean yet, so they weren't ready for food. Give them a freaking sandwich. Give them something. Like, mm-hmm. tomato juice is also super acidic. So if that's, like, one yeah. of the only things that you're drinking. I didn't think about that. That's probably, like, f- like hurting their stomachs so bad. Like, yeah, the lining of it. Exactly. I have the interstitial cystitis diet, which means, like, I can't have a lot of, like, acids, acidic mm-hmm. stuff. If I were to have acid, it just makes my bladder hurt. Mm-hmm. So if that's the only thing that they're ingesting, I'm assuming that their bladder is in a lot of inflammation and, like, pain. Yeah. Oh my god. Linda! One evening, Nellie came knocking on Clara's door and asked if she would be so kind as to accompany her to the Williamson apartment to take a look at something. Clara followed Nellie into the bathroom where the enemas were given, and Nellie held out a bucket and was like, Can you look at this? And Clara looked inside and saw enema contents with white particles floating about in it. And Nellie explained that the contents had come from Claire and asked Clara what she thought the particles might be. And Clara's like, I don't know. Uh, no. Claire had been fasting for 30 days at this point, and Nellie was worried about the sisters, and so she went to see another osteopath behind Linda's back. And when Nellie described to this doctor what was going on, the doctor recommended that the, tr- the sisters try eating. Yes, please. And Linda was also beginning to get very concerned, but more specifically about the sisters' finances. Linda would tell Claire how it must be so hard to deal with their business affairs and whatnot while they're in another country. And Linda wondered if anyone else in their family had, like, authority over the sisters and their money. And Dora and Claire told her that no one had authority over them. So she's she's trying to be, like, power and of attorney? 
Linda let the sisters know that she could store their valuables like their jewelry for them in her safe at her office. Claire and Dora, Dora told her that they felt their belongings were fine with them in the apartment, but Linda was like, oh, but people coming and going from the apartment might be able to take things. Mm. And the sisters were like, nah, I, th- I think it's fine. And I think they should have been like, the people coming and going are your people. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly it. But Linda wouldn't let it go, so eventually the sisters said, okay, and Linda took their valuables. Then if Linda, Linda wouldn't have let it go, I'd li- like, they're so weak, but I would have been like... They are, they're so mentally weak at this point, because they haven't had food in like 30 days. They're, mm, this is and they're being beaten, and they're giving <laughs> enemas, and they're getting, like, they are... They're, they're being starved. Yeah. So then Linda came back and was like, huh, do you guys maybe have any land deeds that you'd want me to also put in my safe? And the sisters handed over everything to no. her. After securing all these items, Linda then diagnosed Dora with the very serious condition of having something wrong with her brain by yelling at her while Dora was delirious with hunger and malnutrition. You have something wrong with your brain. <laughs> Literally. That's just, that was her diagnosis. There's and her like delivery no, of her diagnosis. There's, I have no actual proof besides my thoughts and my own freaking evaluation, but something's wrong up there. Jesus. <laughs> so, even though the sanitarium wasn't ready, Claire and Dora were moved from Seattle to Olala on April 21st, 1911. The neighbors came out to wave goodbye, later saying that each woman looked to weigh only about 70 pounds each. Oh, wow. Claire smiled and waved and told them she'd see them soon, and they were like, yeah, sure you will. Uh, Like, have a nice trip. Bye. The sisters were placed in Linda and her husband Sam's attic in Olala with a screen separating them from one another. Sam ran the business portion of things while Linda quote-unquote, cared for her patients. Dora was told that Claire was too weak to visit with her, and Claire was told that Dora was insane. Oh, my gosh. Is um, that, they, uh, just, uh, no, <laughs> this yeah. is not okay. None of this is okay. So they were totally isolated from one another. Sam Hazard, her husband, let them know that if they wanted to write or send any letters out, that they could dictate it to him what they wanted to say, and he could send it for them which gave the Hazards control over what Dora and Claire were able to tell the outside world. Yep. Claire and Dora had been regularly exchanging letters with Margaret, who was still in Australia, but they hadn't told her anything of going to see Linda Hazard for any sort of treatment. On April 30th, just nine days after the Williamsons had arrived in Olala, Margaret received a cablegram that read, Come SS Marina, May 8th, first class, Claire Williamson. Which, that's a boat. At first, Margaret thought that this was just Claire letting her know when Dora would be arriving because Dora was set to visit Margaret after their North America trip. But it bothered Margaret that Claire had added in there that Dora would be traveling first class because it seemed braggy and she didn't, the girls weren't like that. Yeah. It bothered her enough that she called like the shipyard people and asked about this voyage. And she found out that the SS Marina was leaving Australia on May 8th, not arriving. So Margaret realized that Claire wanted her to be on that ship because it was going to North America. Yep. And on May 8th, she set off to North America with no idea about why, but with a bad feeling in her stomach. The ship stopped at port in Honolulu and Margaret checked for any messages for her. There was another cablegram which had been sent on May 17th saying that the sisters were well and telling Margaret to check for letters. 
When Margaret asked, there was only one letter for her, and it was from Claire, but the handwriting was sloppy and didn't look like Claire's. In it, Claire gushed about the treatment she and Dora were receiving from Dr. Linda Hazard and how excited they were to see Margaret, but did briefly mention that Dora was having issues with her brain. Margaret was like, what the fuck is wrong with Dora's brain? Well, there's nothing wrong with Dora's like, what brain. What do you mean there's something wrong with Dora's brain? Yeah. When the ship arrived in North America, Margaret was unexpectedly greeted by Sam Hazard, who said he would accompany her the rest of the way to Seattle to his wife's office. She tried to ask Sam how the sisters were, but he didn't want to discuss any details. When suddenly he told Margaret, I do have something to tell you. He said, Miss Claire is dead and Miss Dora is insane. Well. He just blurted it out. He, he's just like, there. Claire's dead. Matter of fact. Oh my god. Margaret was in complete shock. Because she literally was just reading letters from Claire. Yeah. Who said that she felt fine and was, like, doing well. She sat numbly in Linda's office waiting for her to arrive and explain what Sam had told her. Linda burst in and went about her spiel again about how great she was and how Claire and Dora had come to her in a terrible state of health and that Claire had told Linda that she had either come there to be healed or to die. Linda began describing all the things that had been wrong with Claire's health and offered Margaret a notebook to take notes in. The notebook had been a leather-bound book that belonged to Claire. Oh. Linda, in detail, described the autopsy she had performed on Claire to her grieving governess, how her liver couldn't be penetrated, how one of her heart valves had crumbled. Linda said that the intestines were of infantile size and the only healthy organs were Claire's lungs. Because she was being starved to death. Like, of course her intestines are freaking small. So, Linda continued rambling about her own personal successes before blurting out an offer for Margaret to see Claire's body. I hate Linda. Margaret was somehow shocked all over again, and Linda led her to another building and showed Margaret a dead woman. Margaret inside knew that this wasn't Claire. Yay! The woman wore Claire's dress, but she had literally raised Claire from the day she was born and she knew this wasn't her. Just as quickly, Margaret was put on the ferry to Olala to see Dora, which was fine with her. She wanted to get to Dora. Right. She desperately wanted to see Dora and get a feel for her well-being. When she arrived at Wilderness Heights, she was directed towards what the hazards call a cabin, but appeared to be a rather small, ramshackle building, not much larger than a chicken coop. Ugh. Margaret was told that she could stay in the hazards attic where Claire had died, that that's where she could stay, and that that little cabin was Dora's cabin. Margaret didn't recognize Dora, who collapsed into Margaret's arms. Margaret was so disturbed by Dora's appearance that she was relieved that she could just press Dora's face into her and hold her to comfort her without having to actually look at her. Yeah. Dora begged Margaret to take her away from the hazards. Margaret guessed that Dora weighed about 50 pounds. Oh my god. She told Dora she would take her away from this place and both women settled in for the night with a plan to figure out what they were going to do the next day. But when Margaret talked with Dora the next day, Dora had completely changed her mind and wanted to stay and continue her treatment. No, just take her. Margaret refused to leave Dora and had to stand by and watch as Dora continued. Dora was still being treated to daily enemas and then given a sponge bath followed by a rub down of coconut oil, but she wouldn't allow Margaret to see her body and how thin she'd gotten. Dora couldn't even sit in a chair without a cushion because it would hurt to have her bones pressing against the wood. Yeah. There was a nurse, Sarah, who oversaw most of Dora's day-to-day care, and Sarah left Wilderness Heights in mid-June. Margaret saw an opportunity and took it. She approached Linda and asked if she could take over Dora's care while she was there. 
Linda told her that that would be fine, but she would have to follow her directions to a T. Oh, just take her. Margaret agreed and Linda allowed it. I know. I know, like, it's not really necessarily up to her. She can't just, like, kidnap yeah, this person. Yeah, Dora's a full-grown woman. She's 36, I think. Yeah. Hmm. Margaret made it her very top goal to start getting some weight onto Dora. Yes. She would add small amounts of flour or rice to the tomato broth that Dora was given twice a day when, like, no one was looking. And the treatment wasn't the only thing that Margaret found disturbing. One day, Linda sat down to talk to Margaret about Dora's declining mental stability when Margaret realized that Linda was wearing one of Claire's dresses. Ooh, red flag. Margaret also noticed other belongings of the Williamson sisters around the home of the Hazards, like rug things. They just, they're stealing from these women who are trusting their care. Mm -hmm. Dora Uh. told Margaret that after Claire died, she could hear Linda and the other nurses giggling and going through Claire's belongings. Oh my god. Dora began telling Margaret other details of their stay in Olala and the Buena Vista. Dora said she and Claire would lay in bed and talk about all the foods they desperately wanted to eat, and that when they were allowed their broths, Claire was embarrassed about her desperation and consuming it, that she'd be licking the cup and trying to get every little last bit that she could. One day, Margaret went to the mailbox to check for mail for her and Dora, only to find that Linda had installed a lock on the mailbox. When Margaret went to Linda about the lock, she was told that there was an order by the town of Olala that everyone was to keep their mailboxes locked to keep their letters secured. That doesn't make sense. Linda told her that she could just give any letters she wanted to send directly to Linda or Sam and that they would bring them any mail that came for them, which was becoming less and less. And after the lock was put on, their incoming mail ceased altogether. Except on one occasion, when Margaret had been walking by just as the mailman was stopping, they chatted for a moment and he gave her her letters directly. Yay! And when Margaret asked him about the order, he said there was no order in Olala for mailboxes to be locked. They're just fucking liars! This was the only day that Margaret and Dora received mail, and Linda flipped out on Margaret for going to the mailman, and Margaret had to promise never to do it again. I would want to give her some of her own internal massaging. (laughs) Other patients at Wilderness Heights began approaching Margaret, because there's other patients here. Yeah. And quietly begging her to take them with her when she and Dora left. Uh Uh-huh. Dora's nurse Sarah came back for a short visit in July, and it was through Sarah that Margaret was able to gather some more information. Sarah talked about the evening that Claire died. Claire had wanted to speak to Dora alone and had been trying to tell Dora something while Linda stood in the doorway talking over her. She then cut in and asked Claire if she wanted a massage treatment and hit Claire until she lost consciousness. Uh In the few days following her death, Linda approached Dora while Dora was trying to open her window to get some fresh air and there was a steep ravine outside the window and Linda kept repeatedly suggesting to Dora that she was worried that Dora would kill herself. She just kept bringing it up, being like, I'm worried you're going to throw yourself out that window after everything that's happened. And Dora had to cut Linda off and tell her that she was being inappropriate to keep saying this, and it was as if she was trying to put the idea in, in Dora's head. head. Yep, absolutely. Sarah then approached Margaret one day while Margaret was doing laundry outside, and she discreetly handed her a newspaper clipping. Margaret placed it in her basket and pretended to fold clothes while she read about the death of another of Linda's patients in 1910 with the last name Erdman. He had been starved to death at the age of 24, and Linda said that his autopsy showed that his organs were of infantile size. Because because she's making them that way. Margaret remembered that this is what Linda said of Claire's organs, 
and Dora and Margaret were both ready to leave now. It was time to go. Yeah. Dora was on board. When Margaret told Linda that the pair would be leaving the next day, Linda handled it very maturely and reasonably and was incredibly helpful with them to gather their things. Hmm. No, she lost her shit and she was furious. Okay, okay. I was like, that does not sound weak. <laughs> I just, I like that version better. <laughs> I um, wish. Linda began yelling that she was Dora's legal appointed guardian and that Dora couldn't leave and they wouldn't be going anywhere. Margaret was like, I don't know what you mean, but we're going. Yeah. And Linda yelled that the law was on her side. No. So Margaret snuck away from the property with a top secret cablegram and she at one point had to hide behind a tree stump from Linda as Linda was walking to the ferry to Seattle and the cablegram was sent to the sister's Uncle John in Portland. He came right away. The incident felt very familiar to Dora as she remembered a very weak but determined Claire sneaking away to send that cablegram to Margaret. Uncle John showed up and attempted to sort the matter out with Linda, who said that her own lawyer advised her not to let them leave until their account was paid in full. John asked to see what was owed and was presented with a paper saying that Dora owed $700 of a $2,000 bill still. John was like, what exactly is the $700 for? There's no specifics. And Linda was like, I can charge whatever I want. John was like, bitch, what a story. Yeah. John was like, this is extortion. Yep. And at the end of this argument, Linda suddenly was like, oh, hey, by the way, Claire had a journal that she wanted me to have, and I was wondering if you or Margaret know where it is. And John was like, no, we don't. And then he went to Margaret, who had the journal, and told her to make sure that Linda did not get a hold of it. Yep. The 700 was paid, and John and Margaret took Dora away from Wilderness Heights for good. Yay! Dora weighed only 60 pounds. No. I mean, but she is, she, is she better? Is she getting better? While waiting for the ferry, they overheard someone commenting on Dora's looks, and that she was a patient from Starvation Heights. Uh. The town in Olala, the town of Olala had no idea what was happening at Wilderness Heights, but they would see patients trying to walk into town to the store, and they would often collapse from weakness, and sometimes patients would beg people in town to give them food. So the townspeople had, like, dubbed the Wilderness Heights Starvation Heights. Okay. That makes sense. Margaret decided to read Claire's journal as soon as they were safe on the ferry. They wanted to find out what it was that Linda didn't want them to have from it. The very last entry was dated May 19th, the same day Claire died, and it was titled, My Wishes. And it read, quote, My Wishes. Dr. Hazard shall have full charge of my remains after death. The money I have provided for with her and the balance shall be hers after all expenses have been paid. The ashes to be buried in Olala by my cabin. My things shall remain in my cabin for life. An exact list to be taken to be kept by Dr. Hazard to do as she wishes. I earnestly wish that Margaret will give to Nellie a jewel for her kindness to me throughout my sickness and my sister. Also one to Miss Robinson. My diamonds shall go to Dr. Hazard that Claire gave to me, and at my death shall go to Dora if she is alive. She can never be repaid for love and tenderness and care, for the peace and comfort of little home I can never repay. My wishes, call my cabin, cabin click. No, that doesn't sound like somebody, like, would be even able to write that if they were so, like, you know? She had spelled Margaret's name wrong. (laughs) Literally the woman who raised her since birth. Yeah. It wasn't um, her handwriting. She right? also spelled cabin wrong, and Claire was incredibly educated. And there's this line written in there of, my diamonds shall go to Dr. Hazard that Claire gave to me. Yeah. Like, that I would, I, that I would, that I gave to her. 
Yeah. Yes. That seems like a slip up of someone someone else writing that. Yeah. And forgetting what point of view they're writing from. Oh my gosh. So these were the events that led to them sitting across from Lucian Agassi and telling their tale. Agassi immediately was interested in seeking justice for Claire and went to meet with attorney Frank Kelly. The first matter of business was being to figure out the mess of guardianship regarding Dora. A hearing was held and the guardianship that Linda had over Dora was terminated. The judge also ordered that Linda return $973 back to Dora, saying that Linda was charging a ridiculous amount for the treatment. Go judge. And I think, yeah, I also think that the judge was, like, annoyed with Linda being like, you need to give me this much money if you are going to be able to leave. Like, yeah. he saw that as extortion, so he was like, you need to pay this 973 back. Good which today would have been almost $28,000 that she had oh. to pay back. Oh my gosh. Agassi wanted to see Linda charged with a crime, though, but Kitsap County, where the Hazards lived in Olala, was small and poor and uninterested in the costs of a trial. Ugh. They were very little. Agassi looked into having Linda prosecuted in King County, where her office in Seattle is located. When Agassi approached the King County prosecutor and was like, hey, there's this woman, Linda Hazards, and she killed an English woman... The prosecutor was like, oh, yeah, Linda Hazard, you want to see her file? And then just pulls out, like, huge stack of documents. The health department in King County was already closely watching Linda. The county itself was watching her. They wanted to see if she would treat any, like, infants or children with the fasting treatment who died. Because then they could swoop in and press charges. Otherwise, everybody argued that the adults consented. Right. But the judge and the prosecutor in Kitsap County finally agreed to press charges so long as Dora Williamson would personally cover the costs of the trial. <laughs> which sucks. Yeah, which and Dora said she would. I mean, yeah, if she had the money yep. and she wants justice for her sister, she should. So Linda was arrested on Saturday, August 5th, 1911. She had been in the process of treating a blind boy and claimed that his eyesight was about to be restored any day, but they interrupted the treatment so he was going to stay blind. <laughs> She's such a stupid bitch. I don't like her. <laughs> she stayed in a residence jail, which is literally just somebody's house. Like, yeah, you can stay here. You just can't leave this person's house. And her bail was set at ten grand. Linda contacted a stenographer and the prosecutor to meet with her because she wanted to make a statement. But her lawyers were like, Linda, you need to just stop talking. And she was like, but then how will people hear what I have to say? Like That was like essentially her vibe. Shut up, but no, then they won't be able to hear me. So self-important. Preparing for her trial, Agassiz delved into Linda's past and learned what he could. During Linda's childhood in Minnesota, her parents had sought out a doctor to come give their kids a checkup just to make sure that they were healthy and doing the best for them. And the doctor was like, uh-oh, these children have intestinal parasites that they just have no symptoms or proof of and it's very common Then they need to take these pills. And whatever the pills were caused all sorts of stomach cramping and puking and diarrhea. Oh. And Linda later said that that treatment messed up her system so badly that it made enemas necessary for her to go to the bathroom. And she lost some of her teeth and continued to have stomach issues into adulthood. So then Linda married a man named Irwin and they had two children. But after a few years, Linda's husband was suddenly gone. Suddenly. She said he abandoned them. Uh-huh. There's no follow-up on that. She killed him. Um, <laughs> I don't know. He probably left because he realized how freaking crazy she was. She then handed her kids off to her own mother and said, I'm going to study medicine because, quote, a woman with a greater purpose sets aside convention. Like, ma'am, you're not setting aside convention. Like, those are real life human beings. Yep. You could have been just a mother and taking care of your kids, but instead you want to... 
I love that vibe of like, yeah, like set aside convention, but set aside convention by just like not having kids. Like, yeah, that. You had the two kids and now you're like, I'm going to set aside convention. Those are your, those are your children. I think she was like a, a huge narcissist. Her relationship with her daughter never recovered. And when Linda eventually died, she left her daughter a single dollar in her will. Just to be a jerk. Yeah. Well, if you if you leave people at least like a dollar, they can't fight for saying, "Well, I didn't get anything," because they're at least they're included in the will. So it's like a legality thing. I've heard before. Ugh. Yeah. It's mean. It's rude. <sighs> Linda found a book about fasting as a health treatment written by a man named Doctor Dewey. She got in touch with him, and they began a mentor type relationship. Agassiz learned more and more about previous patients who had died, and previous patients who had died and whose belongings were mysteriously gone. Hmm. While digging into Linda, Agassiz discovered records of this fun little side story that I love that isn't, like, related to the crimes, but I want to share it. It's the story of how Linda and her husband Sam met and came to be together. Oh, great. All right. So, side story. In 1902, a woman named Viva was living in Chicago when she met a man named Samuel Hargrave. Shortly after beginning their relationship, he took a job in Minneapolis telling her he would send for her when to come with him once he'd saved enough money. They wrote many passionate love letters back and forth in which Sam would often write things like, Be my good girlie. In March of 1903, he said he was ready for her, and the day she arrived, he rushed her off to the court commissioner's office to get married and told the man to hurry up with the proceedings. The two moved into an apartment together as husband and wife. Their landlord at the apartment happened to be being treated by a fasting specialist named Linda Burfield. Linda started showing up wherever Sam went. He told Viva that he was going into business with Linda and introduced Viva as his wife to Linda in October of 1903. Shortly after, Viva received an anonymous typed letter in the mail saying that Sam was in love with Linda. Sam was like, that's so bizarre and strange and who would even like, no, we're just business associates. That doesn't even make like. That's so weird. <laughs> and Viva was like, okay, well, you're going to stop being business associates. And yep. Sam was like, okay, girly. He typed out a letter to Linda, and I'm going to just share it here for the chance to speculate on their business relationship. So this is Sam's letter to Linda, ending their business relationship. Okay. He writes, dear Linda, after thinking matters over thoroughly, I've come to the definite conclusion that it is better to let things stand as they are. In other words, my first duty, no matter which way it comes, belongs to my wife. Therefore, I shall stand by my first decision and will attend strictly to the business I am now doing. I am very sorry to occasion you an inconvenience or any displeasure, but I have talked it all over with a disinterested party, and I have heard from my father-in-law, who also advises me in this way. Yesterday, another one of those disreputable letters reached my wife, and I at once took steps to prevent the recurrence. They can be productive of nothing but harm to all concerned, and they have only succeeded in putting my duty more strongly before me. The latter consists in contending to the work I am now engaged in doing, the right thing for her who bears my name. This should appeal to you, and I believe that after what has occurred, you will someday realize that I have risen to a proper conception of right living. I feel fully convinced that nothing but unhappiness can result in anything of a business or personal relation between us. There's, like, barely any mention of an actual business relationship. There's no business There's there. No That's business. him trying to, like, encode, be like, we, we can't. <laughs> we gotta stop. My, uh, my wife's dad found my, out, yeah, and he's not much. happy with me. Pretty much. <laughs> so, Linda was unfazed by Sam's business letter. She, of course she would. And in November, Sam disappeared for a whole day and night, and when he came back, he was with Viva's dad, and both men looked very serious. 
Sam told Viva that she and him weren't actually married. There's no record of it. And actually, he just married Linda like two weeks ago. Ugh. So Viva was heartbroken. Her dad was a senator and was very unimpressed with his not technically son-in-law. Because it also turned out his name was Sam Hazard, but he got married under the name Sam Hargrave. Because uh, he was AWOL and was wanted for other charges. Oh my gosh. So Sam was charged with bigamy. And Sam and Linda argued that there was no record of Viva and Sam's marriage. And that Viva was just making it up. And Linda wanted Viva charged with perjury. At first, witnesses were split evenly between Team Linda and Team Viva. Because some people were like, Viva was his wife and this bitch came in and took her her husband away. And some people were on Team Linda with like, this woman is just trying to claim that she was with this dude, but they weren't together. And she was like the other lady. People were torn. But Sam and Viva were together for like years before they met Linda. Like a year. Like a, okay, but a year. Many people came to the trial as a form of entertainment, but when all of the love letters were read in court showing that Sam had clearly been in a relationship with Viva and that she thought they were married, everyone quickly switched to Team Viva. Good. Um, the prosecutor compared Linda to a serpent and the marriage between Sam and Viva as the Garden of Eden. Oh my god. Which gosh, is so dramatic. <laughs> Sam, she is a serpent, though. <laughs> she is a serpent. So Sam was found guilty. Linda was upset. Viva was upset. Viva told a reporter about how bad she felt for Sam and how her rich uncle had just died and left her a bunch of money. <laughs> and so Sam had a change <laughs> of heart. missed out on that. Oh, he had a change of heart. And he asked Linda to stop visiting him in jail. And he started receiving visits from, visits from Viva in jail instead. Oh my god. He's just... And Linda was embarrassed and hurt that Sam had suddenly switched back to Viva, and Viva did some catty shit, being like, I feel bad for Linda. I know what it's like to love someone who doesn't want to be with you. That poor woman. (laughs) I I vibe with Viva. (laughs) I like the pettiness, though. Linda sounds freaking crazy. So Sam was sentenced to two years, and the only real reason he gave for his actions was that he has a drinking problem. That's it. He's like, I married two women because I got a drinking problem. It's the alcohol. Um, But Viva stood by him the whole two years. She would write to the warden asking what she could do to make Sam stay more pleasant. Can I make him brownies? Um, (laughs) Viva was ready to go back to being his wife when he was released. But on the day of his release, he didn't go to the hotel room where Viva was waiting for him. He went to the office of Linda Burfield. I hate him. He flip-flopped so hard back and forth. He probably just wanted her uncle's money because when you're in jail, you need commissary. You need money to, well, you don't need money. She paid for him to have, like, like, dental procedures done while he was in jail. Yeah. Yup. Yeah. What freaking jerk. Anyway, back to Linda and her patience. Crazy old Linda. But I just, I really like that weird little side story of, sir, pick a girl and... I think that uh, it definitely says a lot about Sam and how Sam and Linda are perfect for each other. Yeah. So it makes sense as to why he would cooperate. Cooperate? Corroborate. Cooperate. <laughs> I'm going to let Haley say that word. Um, With her stories and, like, with her plans of mm-hmm. starving people. And she became very domineering as their relationship went on. He would, like, cheat on her and she would scream at him a whole bunch. Still kept him around. She eventually just saw him as, like, a dummy who needed to do stuff for her. And then he would be like, I'm gonna be drunk and I'm gonna sleep with people. (laughs) Oh my god. So, Linda's trial began in 1912, and Linda tried to claim that Dora's appearance, which was now much healthier looking as she'd gained back um, a good amount of weight, that that was proof that Linda's treatment had been good for her that's not proof that's proof that she's doing good because she's away from her 
So it was revealed that Sam Hazard had gone to the bank on May 26th and requested that any payments or checks that Claire Williamson was receiving just be forwarded to the Hazard so that Claire wouldn't have to deal with doing it. But Sam didn't mention to the banker that Claire had been dead for a week by that point. So that's, uh... What is that? That's got to be some type of crime, right? It it should be. It apparently wasn't because Sam didn't get any prison time. Uh. During the trial, a teenage girl who had worked for Linda for a short time during which Claire had died testified about being shown Claire's body after death. And the young girl was traumatized by the experience and said that Claire's body was so thin that it looked like a skeleton had been dipped in paint and her skin was so tight she didn't think it was even possible to close Claire's eyes shut. Oh, wow. One witness straight up testified that she never saw anyone die of starvation, but she did see patients die from, quote, lack of food. That is starvation. What the hell? When the final diary entry in Claire's journal titled My Wishes was brought up by the prosecution, they accused Linda of having written it. And Linda's defense team whispered with each other and with Linda, and then they were like, yeah, she did. We're not going to argue that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how could you argue with that? There's so many inconsistencies that obviously it wasn't clear. At the end of the trial, Linda was found guilty of manslaughter. She began yelling that she was the real victim, and Sam grabbed her arm and tried to pull her, like, down back into seating or, like, away. And she was like, Sam, let me speak of this injustice. But he cut her off and was like, shut up, Linda. Because <laughs> Sam knew they'd got got. Yep. And that she needed to shut her mouth. She's just going to make it worse. So Linda's license was revoked in July of 1912. And she tried to appeal the case, but her appeal was denied in the fall of 1913. And she was told she had a month to prepare and present herself for her prison sentence, which was a minimum of two years. She arrived in Walla Walla, where she would serve her time just before Christmas of 1913. Sam Hazard typed out a letter to the warden apologizing ahead of time for his wife's behavior (laughs) and trying to explain it by stating she was going through the menopause. Oh, okay. It's the menopause, the PMSing, the influx of hormones, not because she's actually just a crazy person. Linda served her time and was released after the minimum two years. She was granted a pardon under the circumstance that she leave America. She and Sam left and went to New Zealand, where they started up the old business, and they were able to get enough money to come back to the States in 1920. But they're... What? I don't know how. I don't... uh, They were supposed to leave, they left, then they came back. I don't know. They were able to get their old property back in Olala and picked up as if nothing had happened. She built the sanitarium that she had always dreamed of. And a few years later, she was arrested again for practicing medicine without a license after she had fasted a man for 84 days and he died. But this time, she only had to pay a fine, and she continued once again until she was about 70 years old. In 1935, a fire broke out at the sanitarium and it burned down. Oh my gosh. Linda was devastated. Linda died in her house on the property while giving herself a fast to cure herself of some illness or another that comes with old age. She she starved herself. She starved herself and she died in her sleep. Sam found her in the morning. Sam lived drunkenly in Olala for a few years after Linda's death before he passed away. And as of last summer, the very abandoned remains of Linda's house were still standing. Linda had continued to treat and kill patients after Claire... Linda also had followers who had gone on to use her methods and kill their own patients. It was also found that some of the patients who had died under Linda's care had alum in their stomachs, and alum is an astringent that can make the stomach shrink, like, to an infantile size. Oh. 
Okay. I don't know why Linda did what she did. I don't know if she genuinely thought she could help cure people or heal people. Um, possibly she had some sort of like Munchausen by proxy where she knew that she could starve people to the edge of death and then bring them back and be seen as like this miracle cure. Because at that point, if you think about it, if they had like a minor issue and then they're starved and they like experience the worst possible thing, once they're healthy again, the minor issue probably seems like nothing. That's fair, I guess. But I do think that she did purposefully kill some patients, especially if she realized that they were rich if it benefited her financially for them to be dead. Yeah, I think she was a con artist. (laughs) She, in between, though, would, like, actually treat people. Yeah. Like, without fasting them. Like, kids, and, like, like she was treating some of the kids on the, um, in Olala, like, not by fasting them, but just, I don't know. It seems like a very bizarre con to, like, that's, like, a really intense con. Like, I think that she would purposefully kill people. Like, she really believed that what she was doing was good? I think so. But I think she also realized that it was dangerous because she clearly knew how to use it to kill some patients. Yep. Or, yeah, that's where I'm like, maybe she did have Munchausen and she knew it was dangerous, but she thought it made her look good. And then she benefited financially, but then why is she doing it to herself? Maybe that's old age and she's been, like, telling that story for so long that part of her brain started to believe it. I can see that. I've known somebody who believes their own lies so strongly. Yeah. Dora had received a lot of attention throughout the trial, and she had received um, many letters from suitors all over the world who wanted her hand in marriage. She thought it was silly, but she would organize the letters into piles based on men she would consider (laughs) and men who just wouldn't do. She's like, you did not write literally one single word correct. (laughs) (laughs) So Dora did end up marrying a reverend, but she had to live the rest of her life with this guilt that her sister was gone and she survived. And I know that she had been haunted by that. Sad. Wow. Yeah. So it was just this very bizarre case. You're you're not a real fucking doctor. (laughs) So that was the ending of Claire Williamson. I also want to just really quick list the other patients who died under Linda's care because there were a good handful, but Claire and Dora were able to have like a book written about their experience, whereas the other ones have kind of fallen a little bit to the wayside. So the patients who died under Linda Hazard's care besides Claire Williamson included Frank Southard, Maude Whitney, Blanche Tyndall, Viola Heaton, Daisy Hogland, Ida Wilcox, C.A. Harrison, Eugene Wakeland, Mary Bailey, John Flux, Earl Erdman, Lenora Wilcox, L.E. Rader, Robert Graham, and Ida Anderson. So she was like a serial killer. Pretty much. Damn. Damn. So that is the end of another Dead Endings. Thank you for listening. You can follow us on Instagram at Dead Endings Podcast. You can like our Facebook page, Dead Endings Podcast. Or you can send us an email at deadendingspodcast at gmail.com. All of the links to which you can find on our website, deadendings.com. Mm-hmm.